How come Ottawa, under liberals and conservatives alike, keeps shorting Canadian veterans? Trudeau criticized Harper for it, then Trudeau did it. Canadian veterans keep fighting for fairer benefits, and Ottawa liberals and conservatives keep telling them it's unaffordable. Sound familiar? Last fall, New Democrats shamed the liberals and conservatives into a resolution requiring an all-money budgeted to veteran services and benefits be actually paid to veteran services and benefits. And Rachel Blaney is the NDP veterans critic. Rachel Blaney, thank you for joining us on Game Changers. Well, thank you so much for having me. About 18 months ago, Justin Trudeau told an Edmonton office that uh, an Edmonton audience that he was fighting veterans groups seeking improved benefits because they are asking for more than we were able to provide right now. But as NDP critic for Veteran Affairs, you knew that hundreds of millions of dollars budgeted for veterans services and benefits was going unspent. How much veterans money was going on unspent at the time Trudeau was pleading poverty? And what was that money budgeted for? Well, between November 2015 to November 2018, it was $372 million that had not been spent. So we know that, like you said earlier, under the Harper Conservatives, it was over $1 billion. And all of that money is budgeted to provide services and supports for veterans. And if it's not being entirely used through the year, then you have to question where is it going. And what I think is it's going to balance the books at the end of the year. So we put forward a motion that dealt with that, that said, hey, when veterans are struggling, it doesn't make sense to have money going unspent. Um, let's make sure that at the end of every fiscal year, you bring forward the future to the future years the funding that was not spent. Mm-hmm. And what kind of services and benefits are, are this are this uh, money supposed to be uh, providing for veterans? Well, I mean, there's a lot of gaps. When we talk to seniors uh, across Canada, they're talking about the wait time. So a lot of of, uh, veterans who have severe disabilities, for example, are waiting a long time to get the resources that they need. And so when they're asking for that help, uh, they're getting on the phone calls and they're being passed around. We've had veterans talking about again and again having to tell their stories, which depending on the story, it can be quite traumatic to do that. So when they have a change in case manager, that can be very concerning. And I also think about the fact that in this country, we provide no support to veterans who need service dogs. Um, This is a huge, huge barrier. You know, I know veterans who, if they didn't have their service dog, couldn't walk out the door every day. But they have a life because they have that dog. But we have very little supports to provide for them. So when I look at the gaps, the needs that so many veterans have, we hear about it all the time across Canada. It's quite shocking that that money is not being used. It's being spent to cover other deficits instead of looking after the people who look after us. Right. So in Trudeau's first three years, $372 million went unspent. Uh, that wasn't a new problem for veterans, as you'd mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Trudeau had campaigned against Stephen Harper doing exactly the same thing. And actually, we have a clip of uh, Mr. Trudeau on the campaign trail in 2015, talking about uh, Mr. Harper's uh, uh, unspending the uh, not spending the full amounts. One sec. They left. They left unspent more than one billion dollars that Parliament allocated for veterans support. Canadians know that this is wrong. A government led by me would make it right. 
Well, Rachel, I haven't done the math to see if Harper's one billion over eight years is more wrong than Trudeau's three hundred seventy-two million over three years. But clearly, the, uh, the government led by him did not make it right. Uh, the it was an NDP motion that seems to have perhaps made it right. Can you just tell a little bit about how that happened and where things are now? Well, the NDP motion that was put forward basically said this. At the end of the fiscal year, whatever money is left over for Veterans Affairs should be rolled over and added to the budget for the following year. So that motion was put forward and it was supported in the House. So I'm hoping to see that, and we'll be watching closely, that that actually starts to happen for veterans. Uh, you know, for example, what we have seen is in February of this year, the Liberals announced that they would be hiring 630 staff with 42 million to cover over the absolutely terrible backlogs that are happening at VAC. So this does not cover what I would estimate would be about 124 million every year, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. What concerned me, though, was when we looked at the budget, it said that those numbers, those 630 staff, would be um, ending. So it was a temporary position, and those positions would end in 20, uh, 2021. So I did have an opportunity to talk with the minister while I was in committee, and I asked the question, is simple, and I think most uh, veterans want to know the answer because the backlogs continue to be bad, is if the backlogs aren't cleared by then, will he make sure that those staff stay? Mm -hmm. So what the minister said is he would absolutely make sure that until the backlog was cleared, that the staff would stay. Um, But this is something that we have to watch closely for sure. So, you know, when you look at some of these uh, movements, what we want to see is that money spent on our veterans. It's due to them. It's budgeted for them. These are some clear examples. We know how many veterans are waiting. So, we want to see that money, and that's what we'll be watching for in the next law. Because it's one thing to support something in Parliament, uh, a motion in the House, as they call it. It's another thing to actually see those actions uh, take place. Right. And uh, the issue of unspent money isn't the only one that uh, has been frustrating for, for veterans. No. Uh, in the With the Harper government, there were ongoing legal fights and uh, in 2015, Trudeau promised that he would ensure no veterans has to fight, no veteran has to fight the government for the support and compensation they've earned. But then in 2016, they relaunched Har- Harper era litigation against veterans who sustained injuries while in uniform. Remind us about that legal battle and how did that one end up? Well, I mean, it's. it's... It's been quite sad to see that this is where veterans have been put in a position where they have no choice but to take the Canadian government to court. So this was a veterans advocacy group, uh, Equitas, that stepped forward and did this work. Uh, the Conservatives basically at that point had ripped out the pensions from under veterans, leaving those who were injured in their service uh, severely disadvantaged. And they were fighting to make sure that those pensions were reinstated. So um, the Conservative government did maneuver their way into a timeout during the 2015 election. And despite what we heard from the then candidate for Prime Minister, now Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau, and all of the promises that he made, uh, the case was brought back to the courts. And the Liberal government spent millions of dollars to continue that fight. And what was really sad was when they came forward with the new pension for life, um, 
we were really disappointed to see the parliamentary budget officer come forward and say, you know what, this fund leaves the most severely disabled veterans of Canada in worse uh, position than they had been previously. You know, when you see things like that, you understand why these veterans are being so powerful and strong in the fight that they're doing. And I think part of the the reason that I love the work that I do, but I am continuously devastated for for the veterans of this country, is that the Supreme Court did rule in 2018 uh, that there is no legal obligation to veterans. And when that judgment came down, the judge was very clear to say, you need to have that rectified. We need to have better legislation so that we can hold the government to account uh, in this country for veterans. So what, regardless of the outcome of the election this fall, I, I do believe that there should be legislation that we can move forward on that really outlines what are Canada's obligations to veterans. Right now, it is more of a, a moral decision um, and that's not where we need to be for veterans. We need to protect them. You know, when I think about the people that that serve, how they are ready to go at a moment's notice, whether it's moving across the country or whether it's going um, to another country to step up for Canada and to protect people and to peacekeep, we ask a lot. And it only seems fair that there's some sort of ramification if we don't fulfill that duty. It cannot just be moral. It must be legislative as well. No. Now, under uh, the Harper government, uh, the the Conservatives had moved from a pension plan to a lump sum payment plan, and that was contested and continues, I guess, to uh, it was reverted to some degree. But the particular here in this legal case was with respect to people who'd sustained injuries. Now, my understanding, but you're the expert here, is that people with uh, who were receiving disability allowances were having them clawed back from their pension amounts? Or have I got that quite right? Yeah, it's, and I mean, this is part of the problem with the backlogs as well. We have veterans on disabilities that were being kicked off, not getting the same amount that they used to, and so they were calling to get help, and then the backlog was just growing and growing, and so people were going months without answers, years in some cases. We've had some cases where people were waiting a ridiculous amount of time. So again, it's this uncertainty that veterans are having. Um, you know, I've had some veterans say, I just want to know what the rule is at this point, <laughs> you know, but it, it seems like the rules are always changing. They're not clear. And then when they're asking for the help they need, they often have challenges, especially on the phone lines where there's such a significant backlog. Mm-hmm. And at Veterans Affairs Canada itself, do you I mean, you mentioned this issue about being able to just contact your caseworker or maintain a connection with your caseworker. Is there, what have you been saying and what have you been seeing about how Veterans Affairs Canada uh, is resourced to support veterans in their, as they're you know, dealing with their medical uh, in retirement issues? Well, you know, I've just seen, just anecdotally talking to as many veterans as I've had the honor to do, is that they're there's just a high level of frustration. The transition period to move from active service into uh, being a veteran uh, has been time-consuming, confusing, and services 
have been challenging. We know there's been high turnover uh, at VAC, Mm -hmm. which leads to major issues. Like I said earlier, people, especially veterans who have severe post-traumatic stress, have called our office and talked about having to move from case manager to case manager and starting from step Mm -hmm. one, repeating the whole story again. And so I think it comes back to this fundamental question that we should all be asking ourselves and holding our government to account, which is when veterans come forward to serve our country or when people come forward and then they become a veteran, we need to do the next step, which is take care of them after we've asked them to give up so much for the country. And so, you know, there's a huge backlog. Uh, It's a significant one. What we've heard from the Liberals is, well, of course there's a backlog because they weren't getting service before, now they're getting service, so everybody's calling. But they have nothing to back that up. You know, I I would like to see all the veterans who have, you know, not been calling and asking for help for years and then are suddenly doing so. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and and it's broken. The system is really broken. And so I'm I'm happy to see more people hired uh, to do the work, but the backlog is still so long, and we need answers as to why. And the minister is really unwilling to give those answers. Hmm. Now, uh, it, after Mr. Harper treated veterans so badly, Trudeau in 2015 uh, made a series of promises uh, to to veterans including that he would cover the cost of post-secondary education costs uh, of any veteran, uh, that he would put $80 million a year towards a new veteran's education benefit, and that he'd put $100 million a year to expand the circle of support for veterans' families. What happened to those promises? Well, they're, they're slowly being rolled out, um, I guess. But the, what we're hearing from veterans is, is the process of applying for funding for training for post-secondary education is fairly limited and it can be very, uh, the process can take a long time. So it's not very clear and so we're, we're still watching that one closely. We haven't seen that $80 million always followed through on. So we're we're watching to see that uh, as well. So it's a bit in in the fold uh, unfolding stage, but there's still some frustrations. Mm. One of the things most concerning to me is the health support for families because what we've heard um, a lot about is what happens when when somebody comes home who uh, has served our country and has some trauma, and what's happening to the family as a whole, and of course. What we see again and again is mostly the the veteran is getting some support, but the family is not getting very much, and and that breakdown can be very stressful uh, on the family. We I remember talking to a, a veteran who was talking about uh, his child and how his child was really struggling, but it was really hard to access any funding to provide. Uh, counseling support for that young person. So there is still some major challenges um, in the Veterans and Families Wellbeing Fund and how it's it's rolling out for them. Um, you know, and another thing that was included in that was a fund to look at spouses of veterans married after the age of 60. So as many Canadians know, uh, previously mm-hmm. if you married a veteran um, who was 60 or older, you were not eligible to access any of their supports and resources even after they had passed on. So now there's a, a fund that's supposed to help the spouses. But how you... These would be, no- access- for others, these would be normal uh, surviving spouse benefits. 
Absolutely. Right. So it was. A, it's called the Gold Diggers Clause, and, <laughs> and it's very old, <laughs> and it needs to be revamped, seriously. So a fund right. was set aside to start dealing with that. But there has not been uh, any announcements on how that funding is going to be rolled out, what the process is going to be uh, to do that work. And so this is very confusing because we have a lot of people contacting our office that are saying, here's the support we need, what do we need to do? And so one by one, we're figuring out some of those cases, but there's no national process for folks to come forward and get the support that they need. So we're still waiting for this program uh, to be rolled out. It seems to be something that by a case-by-case basis, VAC may be addressing, Mm -hmm. but it isn't done in a wholesome way where people understand the process and what they need to do. So, you know, these things are there. Um, I'm, I'm always hopeful because I am a person who likes to stay hopeful. But the clarity of how these programs are going to be rolled out are a significant challenge. Yeah, and, you know, this is now four years later. Uh, yeah. So um, life might be fine for some people, but obviously those who are struggling with a disability or uh, uh, a mental illness um, or trauma uh, are not, you know, putting people on hold. This is not the same on both sides of the equation. But yeah, as well, how vet- long do veterans have to wait? I think that's a yes. a big question that a lot of Canadians have. Now, you're as a veterans critic, you've been watching these issues up close, and you have uh, Canadian Forces based Comox in your riding. Yeah. Uh, so I imagine you're uh, you get a up close view on uh, people's concerns, complaints from in your constituency office. Why does Ottawa so consistently get into these fights and cuts uh, with veterans? Well, I think that's a really powerful question to ask. And, and you know, when I think about um, you know, I do have the great honor of representing CFB Comox, and I have to say. You know, the military has some issues. We've heard about some of those things. Mm -hmm. But these are people who, in my community, are willing to, you know, climb out of (laughs) the craziest situations to save people's lives, to help them out. They are willing to move from one part of the country to another country as they are called to. And sometimes, you know, I hope people remember that some people who serve our country they lose significant money just moving from one part of our country to another. Right. Um, and, and and so it's it's one of these things where it's almost like the people who serve us, we sometimes forget. Government seems to forget that these people are serving us and it is our job uh, to serve them back when it's the time. And And so this consistent fighting, cutting, taking to court not having clear programs, not having a transition plan. We have people leaving the military because they are medically discharged, but when they go to Veterans Affairs, have to prove again that their medical condition is the reason that they left, even though they were medically discharged. It's just this ongoing relationship that is really, really negative. So I think we need to see something um, done and done quickly. Your uh, the CFB Comox in your riding, uh, mm-hmm. it houses the, is it called the 19 Wing, which yeah, p- which patrols the Pacific uh, Pacific Ocean for Canada, uh, for military but other reasons. Can you just explain that a little bit? Well, they do a couple of, of yeah really important things. Um, 
they do. They they are there to respond to anything that may happen. They're watching over our region uh, to to check if there's anyone coming into our part of the world uh, unasked. And and so the, it's a really important security issue. Um, but we also have the search and rescue who mm-hmm. are out there saving lives very frequently. Um, in situations, they're the folks that you know watch over us. They um, do the search and rescue, but they're also uh, preparing for when we have a national uh, natural disaster. So they, they, the breadth of the work that they do is really profound. We've had several of the people from Nineteen Wing go over to Mali. So recently, so so they're they're doing the both both internally in our country meaningful work, search and rescue. They're watching the coastline, keeping us uh, safe and, and watching for things. They're preparing for national uh, natural disasters, mm-hmm. and and how I mean, if you live in my part of the world, you know we're just waiting right. <laughs> for when the the next big earthquake happens. We know that's part of where we live, and, so they're preparing for yeah. that. And they're going to other parts of the world and providing support and safe keep peacekeeping when asked. And and do they also uh, watch for uh, foreign trawlers inside of fishing trawlers inside of Canadian boundaries and, and, and ship they releases, work, illegal ship releases, that kind of thing? Yeah, they work very closely with DFO uh, to watch for those kind of, of things and report them and address them. And they're just very well prepared. I've spent some time uh, with folks on the base. I've actually had the opportunity to be up in a couple of their planes. I've been hoisted up in the search and rescue (laughs) plane. Uh, They've given me some, and I think it really lets you know, like, these are folks that are well-trained, they're well-organized, they are prepared to do as they are asked, when they are asked to do it. They're watching for the protection of our oceans, the safety of our country, and the safety of the people who live in our country, and the safety of people who live around the world. So, you know, they're being asked a lot, and when they are veterans, especially when they've had, you know, physical, mental, emotional things happen to them uh, because of that service, it is our moral right to support them. But the next step, I believe, is to make sure that there's a way to measure that because it is unfair that veterans are doing what they are doing and there's nothing for them to be able to hold uh, the government of Canada to account. So, you know, I think when you come back to the question that you that you asked about why is this consistently happening, and I think part of it is because it can, because there is nothing legislatively or very little that says to the government of Canada, you must do this work to protect the people who protect us. And so until we take that next step to say we're going to do something different, um, it's going to continue to happen. And I hope that veterans are thinking about that because uh, these two governments have taken times, the Conservatives and the Liberals, but the story is the same. And how long do veterans have to wait to be treated with dignity? Well, these are, these are important issues uh, for, for them. Uh, you mentioned as well the court case. And I just want to touch back on that. Uh, that uh, originally, I think, hinged a uh, Supreme Court case, ended up in the Supreme Court, but originally hinged on this idea that there is a trust between uh, the Canadian government and veterans, uh, which um, famously the Trudeau, the, sorry, I'm sorry, the Harper government in court said uh, doesn't exist. 
Uh, and Trudeau, uh, rhetorically anyway, in 2015, the campaign said it does exist, but legally you're saying it doesn't. Is that correct? And and there needs to be some way to uh, enshrine that in legislation. Well, there's got to be something. And, you know, it's not me saying it. It's the Supreme Court of Canada that said there is no legal obligation to veterans. And the judge was very clear in the ruling saying that needs to be rectified. So I think this is something we need to be looking at in the future. And remains undone. So more to do. Well, Rachel Blaney, thank you so much for joining us in Game Changers. Well, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks for joining Game Changers. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Let's widen the discussion. Canadians deserve it.